And as you do that, you might like to take out your Bibles. We're going to be heading to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 1. Just as we do that, um, let me share this. Last night I was just seeking to spend some time preparing for this morning and going over notes and thinking what needs to be done, you know, to get ready. And uh, I just felt drawn in my heart by the, by the Lord just to draw aside and spend a moment just ministering to him in, in worship and uh, just kind of focusing on him rather than all that needed to get done just to come before him. So I felt we could just start the sermon. I felt on my heart to start the sermon that way. If we can just take a moment, let's just, just focus our hearts, our attention upon the Lord so that we're ready to receive from his word today. Thank you, Lord. Lord, for many of us, this may well be one of few times within our weeks that we can just sit and be still and focus our attention upon you. So I invite you to come, Lord. Touch every heart. Pray where there are distractions and other things, perhaps weighing us down. Those things would be lifted. Prepare our hearts to receive your word this morning. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Lord, we know that as we open up your word, it brings life, it produces change, it heals hurts, it builds our character, it transforms us, Lord, it imparts joy, it enables us to overcome adversity, it helps us to defeat temptation, Lord, it brings hope, releases power and it cleanses our minds, Lord. So I pray for all this this morning as we open up your word. Bring your touch, Holy Spirit, to the words that I speak. And uh, I thank you that your word never returns to your void, but accomplishes the purpose you have for it, Lord. So let the good seed of your word fall on good soil this morning, I pray in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. And we've actually just been spending a little bit of time here in youth on Friday nights, just looking at the ways of Jesus and um, unpacking that a little bit, what it means for us today. But I don't know about you, but I love Mark's gospel. I love that it's, it's kind of this action yeah. gospel. Yeah. It moves quickly. We see all the time, immediately yeah. or suddenly and yeah. at once. 
you know, there's something um, exciting about that as we read his account of the life of Jesus. It was written to a Roman audience, a Gentile audience, and we can see that reflected in terms of what he includes and what he perhaps leaves out. There's a sense of urgency, and I really believe, and hopefully we'll see this this morning as we start reading Mark chapter 1, that you can sense his excitement. It's like he's poised to launch into the good news of Jesus. He can hardly wait to get there. And this morning, you know, it's interesting how the Lord seems to highlight certain themes at certain times, for certain seasons perhaps, and certainly... um, for us as a church this year, we've had been in the midst of a series on not ashamed of the gospel, you know, stirring our hearts with the message of the gospel, the power of the cross and of salvation and the power of proclaiming the message. And then, of course, we heard last week uh, with our guest speaker, Jordan Whitmer, um, you know, really just focusing our hearts on Jesus and being bold for him, not cold. And I don't know about you, I was really encouraged just by what he had to say and seeing what God can do in and through uh, someone who is surrendered to him and who just gives the Lord the yes. Um, and so kind of want to, I've had on my heart to continue along a similar vein this morning, focusing on the Lord Jesus, on the gospel, that sense of urgency, the priority of Jesus in our lives and knowing him and making him known. So that's where we're going to be heading this morning. So Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Mm. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. As we read this passage this morning, I love how Mark just jumps straight into it. He gets straight to the point, no fluff or anything like that. He just says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And you know, the beginning is so important, isn't it? The beginning of life, the beginning of a new job, say, the beginning of a relationship, the beginning of a new season, whatever it is, the beginning is so important. Think about if you're reading a book, for example... If you don't read the beginning or you miss the beginning, there'll probably be some issues there because it'll take a lot longer to figure out who is who and what's what and what's happening. If you, re- if you watch a movie and you don't uh, see the beginning, sometimes it's a little bit harder to kind of get a framework for what's going on. And I don't know about you, but there are a number of quite well-known, well-popular movies that you know, everyone's kind of seen, and you see them on TV uh, reasonably regularly, But for whatever reason, you flick it on at a certain point. So there are some movies that I've seen, you know, the middle part 50 times, but I've never seen the start of some of these movies, so I had no idea what's going on. And I have this tendency, as my wife, lovely wife, will attest to, that, you know, if I'm out at uh, youth or worship practice or just somewhere and I come in and she started watching 
a show or a movie, and I come in, I have this tendency to say, hey, what's going on? Who's this? And are they bad? And what's happening here? And, and she's like, darling, you either need to watch from the beginning or just go and do something else because it's a little bit too far in to understand. The beginning is important. The beginning frames the rest of the story. The beginning lays the framework and the foundation. And so when Mark says the beginning, this word that is used for the beginning here means the initial starting point or what comes first and therefore is chief and foremost. So when we hear the beginning of the gospel, we should sit up and take notice because something important is about to be laid out. Something significant is about to be told for those of us with eyes to see and ears to hear. So let's start at the very beginning. Very good place to start. I won't sing that as well. Singing sermon this morning. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the title of my message I should have already mentioned, I've called it First Things First. First Things First. And as we look at First Things First this morning, I want to exhort and encourage us in a few key areas. First of all today, the priority and the centrality of Jesus. You know, Mark could have simply said the beginning of the gospel, and that would still have been important for us to grasp, wouldn't it? Take notice of, but he lays it all out in the open, all the cards on the table. The gospel is all about Jesus. Mark proclaims his full name, his full title, outlining his person and his humanity, so Jesus the, the Greek word for the Hebrew Yeshua, the Lord is salvation. He lays out his position and his authority, Christ, the anointed one. He lays out his power and his divinity, the Son of God. Jesus is the message of the gospel. And I think it's really important for us to, that we need to guard against Jesus and something or something and Jesus on the side. Jesus is the message of the gospel. It's not prosperity, not a self-help program, not a means to status, wealth, and position. It's all about him. And I love that Mark wasn't vague or half-hearted about it. He positioned Jesus as central to who and what the gospel is all about. And I think in our lives, we shouldn't be vague or half-hearted either. So let me ask us this this morning, and I include myself in this, as we examine our lives, is it clear that Jesus is central? Is it clear that it's all about him? Is it clear that he comes first and is therefore chief and foremost in our lives, that he is our priority, the one that we are seeking? For Jesus isn't just some acquaintance with some benefits on the side. He's not just an added extra that we tack onto our lives you know, to feel good about ourselves, that make everything easier and better. I was talking to the youth on Friday night that, you know, Jesus is not just some kind of butler that we have off to the side that, hey, come on, I need, I need something, I need a drink, I need this, I need this. Okay, you can go and stand over there now. Jesus is Lord, he's king, he's the one who the prophets of old prophesied about and he came and fulfilled every word of those prophecies. He's the one who is coming back again soon to fulfill all the other prophecies of his second coming. And now more than ever, I believe the Lord is looking for a people who are all in, not lukewarm, not having Jesus, you know, it's just kind of tacked onto our lives, but central first and therefore chief and foremost in our lives. So let's not lose sight of Jesus. And in the midst of the trials, in the midst of 
perhaps some of the other distractions in the midst of the blessings all around us, let's remember the priority and the centrality of Jesus, the good news. Remember the gospel that's all about him. So we've got that laid out. So here's another vital element of the beginning of the gospel that I believe that we need to grab hold of this morning. The priority of repentance. The priority of repentance. In the ministry, in describing the ministry of John the Baptist, Mark's account here references two prophets, Malachi and Isaiah, showing that the Messiah's coming would be uh, prepared. Um, John would come to prepare the way for his coming. And how God would prepare his people for him was planned and foretold long ago. And the way that God would prepare his people for Jesus' coming, and the way that he always prepares his people for a move or a visitation, I believe is through a turning back to him, through repentance. The priority, the significance, and the importance of repentance has not changed throughout history. God still looks for repentant hearts and changed lives. And repentance is not exactly a popular word in this day and age, is it? Sadly, perhaps in churches as well. We don't want to offend anyone. Because when we talk about a need for repentance, it shines light on our sin. It makes us painfully aware that we don't measure up. It makes us aware that we fall short, that we need help. And how many of us know that perhaps it's inherent in humanity that we don't like asking for help or receiving help or acknowledging our issues, that we need a saviour. But see, repentance is so important that Mark puts it at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this message that John came proclaiming, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He lays out the main subject, Jesus, and the main condition, repentance. You know, we see this element, this element of repentance all throughout the New Testament. Jesus' message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. We see it in the early church. There are many places throughout Acts. Acts 2.38, um, Holy Spirit's come at Pentecost. Peter stands up. What, they'll cut to the heart. What do we need to do? Repent of your sins and turn to God. In Acts 17, verse 30, you know, the times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent and to turn to him. In Acts 26, Paul writes, you know, I declared in all places to all people, Jews and Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. I could go on, but a picture of its, I think it's a picture of its importance. And if it was good enough for John the Baptist... If it was good enough for Jesus, if it was good enough for the early church, I think it's good enough for me. It's good enough for us. So repentance, it's not so easy as sometimes we think, and, and there are some, many definitions out there, but basically it means a change of mind that results in a change of action. Turning away from sin, turning away from, you know, doing things our way perhaps, and turning... To God, turning our hearts and our minds and our ways to the Lord. And I think it's important to just make this distinction here. It's easy to confuse two things, sorrow for the consequences of sin and sorrow for sin. 
Because many a person is desperately sorry because of the mess that sin has got them into. But if the consequences could have been avoided, they would perhaps go back and do the same thing again because it's not sin that's hated, but the consequences of it. Real repentance means we come to a place where we're not only sorry for the consequences of the sin, but for the sin and to hate sin itself. Does that make sense? It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness. You know, where there are things that perhaps are in our lives, things that even now he might be putting his finger on, he might be bringing his conviction to, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. When there's things that he brings to the surface, where there's things that he puts his finger on in our lives that we need to make right, it's not because he's cruel or mean or wants to embarrass us or anything like that or condemn us, but it's his kindness so that we can deal with these things, we can bring these things before him you know, in repentance so that there is forgiveness of sins. And this message of repentance, which is at the core of the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, it came through an unlikely source, in an unlikely location, and in an unlikely way. It came through John the Baptist. He had never cut his beard or his hair. He was a Nazarite, the Bible tells us. Now, interesting appearance, no doubt. Long hair, front and back. I got enough comments when I grew a beard, let alone this guy. I mean, imagine what he, he would have looked like. He didn't have fine clothing, like perhaps those, uh, you know, the religious elite had had. He didn't have fine clothing. He wasn't in a comfortable place. He was in the wilderness. He kind of shunned some of the, the trappings of the day. He, didn't, he had an interesting diet, let's be honest. It was perhaps a bit hipster, perhaps getting into superfoods well before they were a thing. He was before his time, perhaps. But he, it came through an unlikely source, but that's so often how God works, isn't it? It came in an unlikely location. You know, this part of the wilderness that John was in, it was pretty barren. It was pretty harsh wilderness, yet... It says the whole country of Judea and all Jerusalem were flocking to him, were going out to him in the wilderness. Why on earth would people do that? Getting away from the comfort and complacency of the, the towns and the villages. You know, in the wilderness, he had given himself a chance to hear from God, to proclaim the message of the Lord. This message of repentance was given in an unlikely way. The Jewish people were familiar with, with baptism of some degree, with ritual washings. But it was a requirement for Gentiles who became converts. They needed to be baptized. So here John was asking Jews to submit to baptism. It was the cleansed life that belonged to God, not just by virtue of being God's chosen people. So this message that John proclaimed, this message that Jesus went on to proclaim, re repentance is required for salvation, recognizing our sin, recognizing our need for Jesus, turning away and turning to God. But I believe that this attitude of repentance, this priority of repentance is an ongoing attitude or heart posture for our lives. And I really believe that John called people to more than words or ritual, more than comfort or complacency. I think perhaps that's part of why it was out in the wilderness where things weren't so comfortable. And he called the people to show the evidence of repentance in their lives, the evidence of a changed life. In Matthew 3 verse 8, 
or Luke 3 verse 8, interestingly enough, the accounts of John the Baptist's ministry, he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, how many of us know that fruit, when talking about a tree, a physical tree, it's the outward evidence of a healthy tree? Good fruit is the outward evidence of a good tree. We've got two peach trees at our house, one in the front, front garden next to the front door, one in the back garden where the dog is. So that probably explains some of what I'm about to say. But it's so wonderful to just pop out the front door and just pick fruit off the tree when it's healthy and good and juicy and all that. It, that's evidence that, I don't know, I water it and stuff like that, but it just it happens. It's a healthy tree. The tree out the back was still working on. It's not saved yet, perhaps. It's not as much of a good tree. It's not producing the good fruit. We had a, the good fruit. We had a, a couple of really good years of harvest off that peach tree, uh, but unfortunately, um, before the dog, yeah, maybe <laughs> that's the correlation I can think. I'll blame him rather than my own uh, inadequacy as a gardener, but. A good tree produces good fruit, and fruit is the outward evidence of a healthy tree. And in spiritual terms, let's think about this for a moment, fruit is the outward evidence, so that which can be seen in our lives, in other words, our conduct, our speech, our actions, all those things, it's the outward evidence of true inward faith. So with his baptism of repentance and in him calling the people to bear fruit in keeping with repentance... There's this call to continue to bear fruit, to continue to show the outward evidence of a changed life, continue to show the outward evidence of a genuine inward faith. Don't just talk the talk. We're not called to just quote the right scriptures, but to walk the walk. You know, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Praise God for that. But where there is sin dwelling in our hearts and in our lives, Let's be a people who remember the priority and the call for repentance, to deal with those issues, those things that are you know, just at work and dwelling there in our lives. Where there is sin, don't hold on to it, don't wallow in it, don't blame others for it. Come before the Lord with a, with a humble heart and an attitude of repentance. You know, talks in the Bible about you know, sin is near crouching at the door. Words to that effect, right? Now, I was just thinking about this on my way out here this morning. You know, if, if uh, I all of a sudden had, say, a criminal or someone like that turn up crouching at my doorstep, balaclava and everything, gun, I wouldn't just, you know, oh, welcome. Would you like to come in and pat him on the back? And would you like a cup of tea? Would, that'd be silly, wouldn't it? If he's there crouching at the door looking to cause harm, I'm not going to welcome him. I'm going to call the police and say, hey, I'll tell him about Jesus, but I'll call the police as well to deal with the issue. You want to deal with the stuff that's lurking and crouching at the door. I believe that we're called to come before the Lord with a humble heart and attitude of repentance. You know, a while ago, um, and I've shared about my dog before. He's wonderful and settled down a lot now. But there was a time when it was causing all sorts of issues for me personally and um, our yard and all that kind of thing. So we got in a dog trainer to kind of help with that, to try and bring a little bit of decorum, a little bit of you know, dealing with some of these issues. And the dog trainer turns up 
And he's like talking to me as if I was the one with the problem. He's trying to tell me that, hey, this is what you've got to do and this is what you're doing wrong. And, and I was, you know, I'm saying, hang on a minute. No, can't you see? The dog is the one. He's caused all these issues for me. He's wrecked my yard and he's caused me to lose some hair and fr frustrate me. Why are you talking to me? Address the dog. But of course, in our own lives, when the Lord highlights or brings that correction or talks to us about something that needs to be dealt with in our lives, there's that tendency to go, hang on a minute, Lord, what about, no, no, talk to them or talk to that thing, person that did that thing to me or talk to, no, there's a call, I believe, and a responsibility upon us when the Holy Spirit brings that conviction. There's that call for repentance. Let's not harden our hearts and resist it. Let's not be proud like I was about when the dog trainer was telling me what I was doing wrong. Let's, let's deal with those things. This morning, you might be here, you've, you've given your life to the Lord, but there's, there's just things that are hanging around, things that perhaps you've held on to or walked in for a while that shouldn't be, shouldn't be there. Let me encourage you this morning, the priority of repentance. There's no condemnation for those in Christ, but come before the Lord with that humble heart and say, Lord, I come before you. I repent. Help me. I turn towards you. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus this morning, if you've never received his free gift of salvation and forgiveness of your sins, well, there's no better time than now to come before him with repentance. Turn away from your sins, from going your own way, from living with you at the center of your life and to turn to God. Remember the beginning of the gospel, that which is chief and foremost, priority and centrality of Jesus, the priority of repentance, a heart turned towards the Lord. So there's a third element I just want to encourage us and exhort us in and bring, us, bring out of the passage that, that we see there kind of as a takeaway for us this morning. The priority of our proclamation. Priority of our proclamation. And I believe in verse 7, there's something so wonderful here for us to take away. Well, I'm excited about it anyway, so hopefully we can all catch a glimpse of it. It says of John, he preached and he preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And he preached, he proclaimed, he spoke, we could say. About who? About the one who was mightier than he was. About the one who was so infinitely worthy and magnificent that he felt he wasn't even worthy to stoop down and kind of fix his sandals. He's the one of whom it says in John's Gospel, perhaps Luke's, you know, he must become greater, I must become less. The people were flocking to hear John the Baptist. But what does he do? He redirects their focus to the one who was truly worthy of people's attention. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 31, it says, For this purpose I came, baptizing, doing what God had called me to do, that he might be revealed to Israel. I came, for this purpose I came, that he might be revealed to the nation." I believe our lives should always point to him, to Jesus. You know, people always need a sign to show them where they haven't been before. They always need a sign to show them where they haven't been before. 
whether that's GPS or road signs or the old school maps, when we haven't been somewhere before, we need something to show us the way. You know, John the Baptist, when he was uh, baptizing and doing his thing and his ministry, there had been a prophet or a prophetic word or word from God for you know, several hundred years um, up until this point. So no one living had ever seen anything like this, had ever seen anyone you know, whose God's hand was so clearly upon. And he was, he was the sign simply preparing the hearts of God's people, pointing them to the way. So John lived his message. He boldly and humbly proclaimed his message. But his message pointed to something and to someone greater than himself. It's like he was saying, hey, guys, it's not about me. It's not about me. Don't come looking at me. I'm nothing special. I'm just preparing the way for the one who truly is. Look to him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what he cries out in John's gospel. This is the one I've been telling you about. This is the one I've been preparing your hearts for. You know, let me encourage you this morning. Each and every one of us, our lives speak. Our lives carry a message. Our lives and the way that we live carries and proclaims a message. And you know, people, I really believe in this day and age that we live, are looking for authenticity. Which is why I think it's so important to have Jesus central as chief and foremost in our lives. And I think it's why it's so important to remember the priority of repentance, to perform deeds in keeping with repentance. So wherever you are at this morning, wherever God has placed you, whether that's school, whether that's in your home life, in your family, whether that's your workplace, your community, your sporting team, your retirement village, whatever it might be, your life speaks and proclaims something. Let me just challenge you with this. Is the message that you are proclaiming pointing people towards Jesus? Does it exude hope and joy, the truth of the gospel, the grace and goodness of God, or does it kind of proclaim something else entirely, something unattractive or something all about us? The gospel must be proclaimed with our words, with our lives, everything. And this world that we live in is in desperate need of signposts pointing them towards the one who is the answer, towards the one who is the hope that never fades, towards the one who is salvation for their sins and healing for their pain. And I pray that we would be a people who remember the priority of our proclamation, that our lives speak Yes, with our words, of course, when we speak, but, but how we live and how we carry ourselves, our attitudes, the way we love, the way we deal with conflict, the way we deal with setbacks, all those things proclaim a message. Are we pointing people towards Jesus or to something else? So as we come back to first things first, maybe we could get the worship team or at least the keys and guitars or something like that come and play and sing over us. As we come back to first things first, remembering the priority and the centrality of Jesus, embracing the priority of repentance and walking before the Lord with a humble heart that is turned towards him, then I believe we'll be able to effectively proclaim his message that he's given us to the world around us. Would you stand this morning?
Lord, I want to thank you for the time we've spent together this morning. I want to thank you, Lord, for what we've read from your word, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Son of God. I thank you that it is all about you, Lord Jesus. I pray that in our hearts and lives that you would be central, that you would be first and foremost, Lord God. Lord, perhaps where, where there's perhaps been things that have got our attention off you, distracted us, weighed us down, pray this morning we wouldn't leave this place without just realigning, recalibrating our hearts towards you. I thank you, Lord, for the priority of repentance, Lord, but that hasn't changed throughout history. And that's for salvation, but also, Lord, that ongoing attitude in the life of us as believers, Lord. So God, I pray today that we would not harden our hearts. Lord, if there are things in our lives, Lord, that we know shouldn't be there, shouldn't be there, the sin that so, clings so closely weighs us down, Lord, I pray that this morning we would come before you with humility, with an attitude of repentance and lay them those things before you, Lord. And that we would bear fruit in keeping with repentance, Lord. That our lives would show the evidence of a changed life, Lord. We're so thankful, Jesus, for who you are and all you've done for us. And Lord, I pray too that we would be a people God, who proclaim your message with boldness, Lord, in the words that we speak, in the way that we live, Lord, and that we would be like signposts pointing towards you, Lord. I pray that as we go from here today, we would go filled with your spirit, filled with your hope, with your joy, and with your peace. I pray this week that there would be just countless opportunities for all of us to share who you are, Jesus. And this would be a week where we do go deeper in our walks with you, Lord. Thank you for your presence here this morning, for all that you've been doing in our midst. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So uh, I'm going to invite the prayer team forward at this point.